0: Hello and welcome to EdTech Confessions. Sometimes we're embarrassed to admit we don't know how to do something. That's what EdTech Confessions is all about, asking questions and exploring answers. We're here to help.
1: Welcome to the show, we're your hosts. I'm Ann Cosma.
0: I'm Kelly Martin.
1: And I'm Cynthia Nixon. On this episode, we're talking all about student creativity. You can find our resources at bit.ly slash edtechconfessions. That's bit.ly slash edtechconfessions and what do you have to share today about student creativity?
2: Well, hey friends, I wanted to start off by talking about creative ways to celebrate student creativity. How's that? Can we start with the celebration? Of Woo-hoo. course. Awesome. Okay, so do you both remember Q2017 when Kathy Hunt was the closing keynote? Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm a big fan girl, but she shared in her closing keynote this super rad strategy that ended up becoming a game changer for me. Kathy called it the Spontaneous Art Gallery. Mm. So kind of cool. Sounds, sounds interesting, right? Yes. Wondering what a Spontaneous Art Gallery is? Yes. Okay, it's simple and it's brilliant, really. But before I explain it, I want to just preface it with a quick rabbit trail, okay? Remember days gone by when the big question was like, how do we get this off of a device? How do we share this beyond the screen? This is before platforms that allowed us to share share beyond, right?
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
2: We have so many ways to share and showcase learning, but one of them really truly became this spontaneous art gallery. And I was inspired by Kathy in that closing keynote. So picture this, I'm doing a demo lesson. It's a kindergarten room, and they were brand new to their iPad devices, okay? Mm-hmm. I introduced Doodle Buddy as a simple digital whiteboard that the teacher could use it in all all kinds of ways. But this particular lesson was centered around my favorite read aloud of all time, the grouchies. And during this lesson, the students ended up creating their own digital art of their grouchy and we wanted to showcase them all. So we did a spontaneous art gallery and what that meant was We arranged all of the iPads on the floor and we placed them into like a, say, a five by five grid on the floor and literally made a kumbaya circle around them and stood celebrating the work. And all of these kinder students were able to look and admire the creations that all of their peers had made. And it's so simple, but it was this really unique way to share and celebrate in that moment. And the cool thing was everybody's work was being showcased. Everybody had the opportunity to see everybody else's work and they loved it. It was a really cool and unique way um, just to share and celebrate. I keep, I keep saying that, but it's all about that moment, right? And, and sharing it together as a class. And the cool thing about it, a spontaneous art gallery, it can be done on any device. You don't have to put them on the floor. You could leave it on a desk. Place them around the room do a gallery walk walk the room um but it was all about that in that moment celebration and i loved it and the students loved it and i've done it in lots of capacities but it goes down in history. My very first one was done with kindergarten students and I love the idea of a spontaneous art gallery.
1: Well, and how simple is that? I mean, it's such a simple thing. Sometimes we get caught up in the complexities of, you know, we have to send it here or put it here and download it here. And just how simple it is to set your iPad on the floor or put your Chromebook out on the desk and just simply walk around and look at it all.
0: Right? It, It does totally remind me of like the old school I guess teachers still use them as the gallery walk where people work on a poster or whatever as a team and then other teams walk around and, and view them. But it's so much simpler on a device that you could just walk the room and you could just decide in in the moment, let's do a quick gallery walk. Leave your Chromebook on your desk or, or your iPad on your desk.
2: The cool thing is I've done this in a different version as an adult where I created something on my iPad and we basically made a giant like circle around the room and walked in silence, holding our device and viewing other people's as we walked around. So a spontaneous gallery is so simple, but it's a totally unique way to celebrate in that moment. I love that. That yeah, sounds yeah. great. Yeah, I just I, I, I wanted to start with a celebration. <laughs> <laughs> That's very an of you. So what what do you guys wanna share? Well, you know,
1: for me, I have an experience I'm going to share with you in a minute, but I really feel like student creativity starts with student choice. And I feel like you get more voice from them. I feel like allowing them to have choice in what they do is what sparks that creativity and gives them that chance to express their voice in a way that we might never have known had we not given them the option. So years ago, I want to say 2014, maybe... I went to an EdTech teacher iOS summit here in San Diego, and I was kind of new to the whole EdTech thing as far as looking at it as, oh, maybe I want to be a coach. So I was really kind of looking around for different things that, that could help me spark some ideas in my colleagues and, and in my own class at that time because I was still in the classroom. And I went to this session with Sean McCusker, and I don't know if you've ever seen Sean anywhere. He's, he's on the Twitters, um, and, and he presents around, but he's a really cool guy. And I was riveted, I actually went to several of his sessions, but I was riveted in this one one session, and he was talking all about student creativity. And he was specifically giving an example of a student that he had, and I want to say that they were middle school students. And um, there was this one particular student he had in mind who was extremely shy. They wouldn't talk out loud in class, super, super shy. And he gave this project... And it was kind of a, an open-ended project. He's like, You're, you need to show me this information. I don't remember, you know, the outline of the project or what it was. But basically, show me what you know. And they were able to choose and, and make choice. And he didn't say, here's a whole list of things you can do. He just said, show me what you know. And this student came up with this idea and did this incredible video. And I wish I could remember the name. I think it was somebody Smith and Karl Marx. And it was like this person versus this person, like a comparison and they came up with this incredible video and they said, hey, you know, can I do this idea? And he's like, sure, go for it. And I'm gonna post the video on the website so you guys can take a look at it. But just this student came alive and what they knew, and it was just an amazing way for them to show what they knew. And it was basically the hand writing and drawing on white paper with a, with a black marker, and then there was a voiceover on it. So it was very simple, but it was a really great video and it has, hundreds of thousands of hits on YouTube at this point. Um, and it was such a celebration for this one child because of being so shy, there wasn't a lot of times where she got to sh- get up and show what she knew and feel proud about that. And, and here this goes out on YouTube and it's getting comments and it's getting traction and all these people are looking at it and seeing it. And it just was this really amazing moment for this student. And just hearing about that really inspired me. Like, okay, I want to give my students more choice. And at that time I was teaching third grade. And I remember I went back to my team and I was like, all right, you guys, I just came back from this thing. And this is what I learned. And I really want to try this with our kids. And I'm like, all right, here we go. They buckled in, ready to go. And we got all of our kids. We had um, three classes of third grade. So we had 60 kids in a room. And we gave them this project. And I said, all right, guys, you need to show us what you know about multiplication. You need to show us that you know and understand truly what multiplication is, not like, oh, five times three is 15. See, I know multiplication. But what is it? What's happening with the numbers? What's going on behind there? Like, what truly is multiplication? And we had 60 kids just stare at us. And they looked at us like, I'm
2: wondering what, what do do now?
1: yeah, like what, what yeah. am I supposed to do? And what I noticed and what I learned from that experience, because I expected them to, you know, come out with all these ideas of these amazing things they wanted to do. And, and that's not what happened. And it's because our students have been trained a certain way, and, mm-hmm. and we train them, mm-hmm. hey, I'm going to tell you what, what I want you to do, and then you're going to go and do it, and, and, and I'm going to show you examples of exactly what it should look like, and then you make it look like mine, and then you get an I, right? So <clears throat> giving them for the first time this completely open-ended project, they all just kind of blinked at us, and, and I had some examples in my back pocket, and so I ended up having to pull out a couple examples and show them some things, and that kind of got their juices flowing. Now, I do want to bring up the point that I feel like we need to use caution with student examples because I feel like at times student examples can limit creativity. And that's because because our students are expecting us to give them that recipe, you know, tell me exactly what you want me to do, show me what it was supposed to look like, and then I'll go do it. Because they're used to that, if you show them a bunch of examples, they're going to pick one and emulate it, you know, because they're so used to that. So I, I didn't really want to show it to them, but in this case, because they just were looking at me like I was crazy, um, we had to pull out some examples. And once they got going and once they got, you know, the juices flowing and they were talking with their uh, with their little groups, I think we put them in groups of three, they, they, they finally got it and they got into it and they were super excited. And I have never seen 68 year olds more excited about a project in my whole life, but it, it took a little bit of work to get there. So I guess I say all that to say, my main point is that it's incredibly important to give your students choice. And I feel like just saying, okay, you can do a video or you can do a poem. Like we can give them those choices, but I feel like if you're going to give them specific choices, give them three, four, five options and always give them. an if you think of something else you'd like to do, ask. Because just like this student that, that Sean had shared about There's a part of our kids that we're never going to get to see if we don't allow them to use their own imagination and to use their own strengths to start a project, to do a project. That might be something a little bit different. And they might ask, hey, what if I did this thing? And you're like, "Mm, I don't really know how that might work. I would encourage you to let them try it. You know, maybe have them get some more ideas together and come back to you again and say, you know what, get some thoughts together. Come back to me. Let's look at it. But giving them that chance to explore something that could open doors, first of all, for you to get to know your students, but second of all, open doors for them to realize, hey, I'm really good at that, or I really enjoyed doing that. You know, how many movie makers and poets and and songwriters never quite developed because they were never given an opportunity to explore that thing that they never knew they loved? So I guess for me, I'm really passionate about giving them choice and allowing them to explore that and explore a part of themselves in the process.
2: Man, that's like a good word, Cynthia, coming from you. Like, I-, I love listening to you talk about that because, yeah, it might be hard at first for teachers to kind of let go and and give that that choice and that freedom. And yeah, it's hard at first, but you bring up a really powerful sort of idea with how many examples are too many at the start, right? Because I'm not trying to force my expectation, my perceived outcome. I want the student to own their learning, take whatever pathway they need to take to get there to show it and celebrate that
1: process. So that's that's some deep thoughts right there we could get into. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? And it, it is, it's rough at first, but it's worth it. And I, you know, I have a, a pinned tweet on my, on my Twitter that says, oh, I'm looking it up right now, right? This is awesome. Okay, this is Tom Ugh. Whitby, of course, Tom Whitby. This is a
2: fantastic quote by Tom. No educator's comfort zone should ever
1: impede any student's potential to learn and grow. Right? So sometimes we get in this That's moment where we're like, I don't know how this is going to go. And our tendency sometimes is to pull back and be like, I'm just not going to go for it. But we shouldn't make our comfort zone affect our students learning. And when I saw that quote on Twitter, I had to write a blog post about it. And that's, that's what I've got pinned there. But um, we just, we need to just take a step out in faith. We're asking them to take a step out in faith to create this project. We haven't given them a specific recipe for it, right? Yet sometimes we're afraid to go ahead and step out of our comfort zone as well. So I just think it's really important to give them that option and just see where it goes. Let's just see where it goes. And I think what's really important as well is that I think, For me personally, I found
0: that the best lessons I did were the ones that actually failed at first. So Mm -hmm. I use the example of, I use Storybird with my class when I was in the classroom, what, seven years ago, seven and a half years ago. So it was really in its infancy and I was having the kids write collaborative stories using the images in Storybird. It wasn't as real time as we would have liked. So it was messy, but did they keep asking to work on those projects? Yes. Was it yeah. a lot messier than I would have liked? Oh yeah. <laughs> but they were so excited to write, eight year olds, third graders, to write stories. And these were kids oh. I couldn't normally get to write that they were asking daily, if not multiple times a day, hey, we wanna go back on Storybird. Can we Can we continue to work on this project? Nice. So even though it put me like out of my comfort zone, like big time, it was what was best for them. And that was a big realization for me is that sometimes when I'm out of my comfort zone, it's okay because the kids are learning even more.
1: Right, exactly.
0: It's so powerful. And I've had such a great time watching one of my teachers use Seesaw this last year and how she gives the kids so much freedom with it that sometimes they have to recite a poem but they might do it with audio or video, whatever they're comfortable with. And other times they, they use a different tool and they plug things in. It's really been interesting to watch this teacher allow more and more freedom the longer she's been using any any of the tools, just technology in general.
2: I think that this whole topic of creativity really is kind of travels a parallel path to the fact that not every scholar learns the same way students do not fit inside the same learning box. So for us to force one style, one prescribed pathway towards them, we're doing our students a disservice and giving them the choice like you were talking about, Cynthia. It's just empowering them to own their learning, but share it in different ways. And and because they're unique individual learners sitting in, in your classroom, that pathway and that choice is so powerful. Right. Yeah. That goes along with Kelly. You started talking about some tools, but there are so many different types of tools that empower and showcase creativity. What, what are some of your favorites, Kelly?
0: So a couple that I basically taught myself. So if I, I figure if I teach myself, kids can teach themselves too. So I'm always looking for tools that are really easy to learn without whole lot of guided instruction. So Mm -hmm. one of my absolute favorites is Canva. And I will caution that one is for students over 13. It's pretty clear in their um, terms of service. But it is such an amazing tool to create uh, photo posts, any graphics. If you want to do letterhead, anything that's a graphic representation, you can do it in Canva. And it's such a simple tool to use. It's drag and drop. I've showed quite a few people how to use it in 15 to 20 minutes if they mm-hmm. really feel they need support. And Cynthia, you've used Canva a little bit here and there, haven't you?
1: Yeah, I use it for some different images. And I know if I just need something quick and easy um, or I need a certain size, like sometimes when I'm like, oh, I need to redo my Twitter header. I'll just head over there just because they're sizing and everything is already done for me. And I yeah, can just so you know, nice. drag and drop it in.
0: Yeah. Really easy. The other one that is available now for all ages, which was a really big announcement that Adobe made last spring is Adobe Spark. Well, Adobe Spark has three different main tools. So they have a graphic, which is called Adobe post website, which is spark page and video stories, which is spark video. Video stories are more like audio added to still images. You can add video files too, but these are tools that I highly recommend to teachers, especially Adobe Spark now that any any uh, any child of any age can use it, that kids can jump on there and kind of just figure it out. And I'm a big advocate, kind of as the same, going along with what Cynthia was saying, for just letting kids learn it themselves and struggle through. Because you learn more by doing than by someone standing in front of you telling you how to do it. Well, if a student is, is frustrated, obviously I would go and help. But I really want them to try and you know click all the buttons.
2: I was just gonna say, <laughs> as our friend Josh the Harris
0: would say, click, click all the buttons, all the
2: buttons <laughs> yes. right? But when you push all the buttons, you you learn the workflow, and it it actually I think is empowering for you to learn a
1: workflow, um, so that you can see potential for a tool, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, they love to click the button and say, oh look what it does, and they're like, look look what I found, and they want to share with everybody you know what they saw and what they did and what they made it do you know? Right.
0: And I yes, I had a lesson that I would do with kids and it was so silly because it was really like a Google Doc with turn this line to this font, change the size, change the color. And I wouldn't tell the kids how to do any of those things. And if they would say, oh, I figured it out. Okay, wait three minutes and then tell your neighbor if they're still stuck. So having them sort of struggle through they grew incredibly quickly. And that was a struggle for the teacher that I initially worked with on because she had a hard time not telling them how to do it, Mm -hmm. letting them have that natural struggle. So I think it's so powerful to actually just click all the buttons because then you learn where stuff is.
1: Yeah are like, oh, they have this thing I didn't even know they had. I find that I find all the hidden tools I didn't know about when I'm looking for something else. It's like when I go in to actually look for a tool, like I know it does this thing. Where is it? You know, I, I learn more things because I noticed things I didn't notice before because I wasn't on autopilot just clicking the buttons. Totally. Yeah. So this
2: weekend was a big weekend for tech fests and ed camps. And I was paying attention to the hashtag CapQPLN Twitter This weekend because of the CapQ Tech Fest, right? And Kate Tolmai retweeted something from Kelly Orvik, And in Kelly's session, she layered out Google Docs, Google Slides, Google Drawing, Google Sheets. And basically, it shows if you learn one app, you can teach yourself the rest. Because the design of the app follows the same format. Uh, Right. If you know where to click in one, you're going to know where to click in the next app. Right. So that's that's why I'm an advocate for pushing all the buttons, because it literally helps you learn a workflow that speeds you up for the next time, you know. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. And I would say, like, if you're nervous, if you're listening to this and you're a teacher, like, I'm kind of nervous about letting them figure it all out. Start with Adobe because I have to tell you, Spark and Post and Page are so easy to use. Mm -hmm. It's so clear. Like, what do I click on next and how do I make this? Like, the images that they use as their icons and their buttons, it is so incredibly easy. In fact, I've made one of all three. Um, multiple graphics just just today, actually. (laughs) I've been working on that and I worked on a page last week, but they're so easy to use. And, you know, if your school is very cautious about the privacy and everything, which they should be, um, they have it now where your district can sign up with Adobe. And it's like the school district actually owns the logins and not Adobe. So it protects that information and it keeps it in-house. Your IT people can add all the students in and then you know that it's safe. You know you can use it for all ages and it's just so incredibly easy and intuitive and beautiful. It all comes out beautiful. Yeah, it does for
0: sure.
2: Well, ladies, I think we could keep talking student creativity for a long, long time. But maybe it's time to say, for those of you who are listening, we're going to be coming to you live from Fall Q. And we're going to be asking our friends, what will you confess?
0: Don't forget to check out our resources at bit.ly slash conventions.